Well, good morning, Chapel Roswell. Welcome to 2019. My goodness, that feels kind of weird to say that, doesn't it? But Happy New Year. I'm glad that each and every one of you is worshiping with us together this morning. My name is Joe McKechnie, and I am so blessed to be the pastor here at Chapel Roswell. Now, let me give you a little bit of teaser. I think I've discovered something. I'm a big college football fan, a big Georgia fan. Any Georgia fans amongst us? Okay, I have discovered, true story, I have discovered the key reason that Georgia lost in the Sugar Bowl. And I'm going to share that with you a little bit later, so just bear with me. I promise. I'm on to something with this, okay? I know that whenever we kick off a new year, everyone comes together and we talk about our New Year's resolutions. And by now, many of you have probably forgotten about them. Or maybe you've ignored them. Or maybe they've become old habit or old news. But I hope that for each of us, one of our goals as we enter a new season... Okay, a time of fresh revelation, a, a time of a new beginning, that, that our spiritual uh, depth, that tending to our faith is going to be something that is a big priority as we go into a new year. Now, on our Chapel Roswell website, we have a listing of a lot of different small groups, ways to get plugged in and connected. But this upcoming Wednesday evening, we're going to kick off a six-week series. Um, I'm going to be leading it along with my wife. It's going to be in the... the the uh, Senior Pastor Conference Room, which is literally right out the back door right here. It's based on a powerful book. It's a New York Times bestseller, and it's a true story entitled Same Kind of Different as Me. Same Kind of Different as Me. I would invite you to come and be a part of it. We'll gather from 6.30 to 8 o'clock. You can see even on the RUMC website, they've got activities for the kids. They've got dinners leading up to that. And so it'll be a great time to spend with your family. Just a few yards down the hall, like I said even have free childcare on site. If that's something you'd like to do, just email me at joe at chapelroswell.com and, and, and we'll get you signed up for it and make sure that, that you're on the list. But uh, we're going to have a great time together. I look forward to getting to know folks better and I look forward to just digging into God's word in a real and profound way. Our scripture this morning declares that God is doing a new thing. God is doing a new thing. We'll go to the scripture in a matter of a mere moment. But when we talk about God is doing something really new, that's in your life, that's in my life, that's in our lives together. And it's an exciting promise. It's a word of assurance, a word of affirmation that comes straight from the word of God. Now, we talk about New Year's resolution. A, a resolution is uh, an intentional act to do something or to not do something. That's what a resolution is. People make New Year's resolutions to exercise more or to eat more carefully or to be more deliberate about spending time with family. And these are obviously great things they're worth fighting for. Uh, when my father was my age, he was a heavy smoker. He couldn't kick the habit despite making attempt after attempt, New Year's resolution after New Year's resolution. Finally, sadly, he saw his older brother to whom, uh, with whom he was very close pass away, die of cancer because of smoking. My father realized that he had to break the habit, and he turned to God, and, and through that supernatural power, he was able to break it through that power of God. I remember one year, 
okay, not long ago, I actually bought a guitar, and I was going to learn how to play the guitar. That was my New Year's resolution. This was B.C. That means before Catherine. That's my wife, okay? This was B.C. She, you may not even know this about me, okay? Uh, but I bought a guitar, and I started to take guitar lessons. And after about six lessons, I realized that, number one, I wasn't any good. Uh, number two, I wasn't getting any better. And number three, I just kind of realized that God hadn't really released me to play the guitar. I was surrounded. I was working at a church. I, I was surrounded by great guitarists, great musicians. I, I didn't need to be that. I, I had a place in the body of Christ. I, I didn't need to be a guitarist. But you see, at that church at that time, the guitarists, and I guess they still are, they're kind of the, the, the hip, cool, young guys, you know. And, and I wanted to be the hip, cool, young guy. And so I think that's why I took up the guitar and God finally said, Joe, I, I didn't release you to do that, okay? Go back to what I have called you to do, and don't worry about that. Leave the guitarist up to the guitarist. So when I think of a resolution, I often think of things that I want to do, changes that I want to make, not necessarily even bad things, but, but what is it that God is calling me to change? What is it that God is calling you to add on to your life? What, what is it that God's calling you to take away from your life? What is God saying, okay, Joe, I'm going to help you with this, okay? I'm not calling you to do it under your own strength or by your own power, but I am going to use my supernatural power to, to, to help you rid yourself of something that is not healthy in your walk with me. When I look back on my life, okay, the real changes that made a real difference, that made a real impact, were done not through my own willpower. No, those real changes took place as I surrendered to certain areas of my life, and I said, God, I need your help with this, because you know what? I don't have the strength to do it. I don't have the willpower to do it. I don't have the energy to do it. I just can't do it. So a resolution very often is about ourselves, but a revolution, what is that? A revolution is about something so much greater than ourselves. Now, very often when we think about a revolution, maybe you think about a, a violent war or a dangerous military presence, but the word revolution really is innocent enough. Quite simply, the word revolution, it just means a wide-scaled new way of doing things. A wide-scaled new way of doing things, okay? It's a new way, but it's also wide-scale, not just limited to a certain number of people. So I pray that, that, that we can understand that resolutions, maybe they're done in our own strength, but a revolution is a sign of a greater cause, that God is on the work, is at work in your life and in my life, and together we're called to go out to make a difference because of the difference God is making in us. Jesus never turned to anyone and said, you know what, go over and turn over a new leaf. He never said that, but he did invite people to, to come follow me. Come and take on a totally new way of life, one with hope, one with peace, one with the power of the supernatural, one with an eternal ending that's worth my friends writing home about. That's revolutionary stuff. Jesus came not to enhance our lives, but to transform our lives. That's revolutionary stuff. In his New Testament writings, the Apostle Paul, he talks about two ways of living our lives, okay? We're, we're guided by one of two things, either our flesh, which is ourselves, or by the spirit. Flesh versus the spirit. Our flesh, that's our own agenda, our own desires, our own will, whereas the spirit is the Holy Spirit. That's what scripture says. It's either our flesh or our spirit. And I see that all the time. Even in my own life, perhaps my anger will cause me to snap back or lash out at one of our kids, not in the tone of the Holy Spirit, but in the frustration of my flesh. Or maybe at times our desires are driven not by what God is calling us to take on 
but by our own flesh, what it's craving for the here and the now. So when, we're, when we are, are in our flesh, our normal human tendencies are on display and they're leading and they're guiding us. But when we're ruled by the Holy Spirit, when we allow God really to take over, we're focused on godly things, we're focused on others and not just worldly things. I mean, you talk about a revolution. That's what God wants to see through Chapel Roswell. That's what God wants to see through our families and our parenting and our marriages and our schools. God wants to see a new way of doing things. Now, let me take you back about 3,000 years. I've been preaching a lot on the book of Isaiah. Before Christmas, I preached a lot from the prophet of Isaiah. We're going to wrap up Isaiah this morning. He was arguably the greatest of the prophets of Israel. As you've heard me say before, a prophet was an official government position, someone who was anointed and appointed to be the spokesperson for God. I want to finish up with Isaiah this morning. Like I said, we're going back about 3,000 years. The apostle, or excuse me, the, the prophet Isaiah is writing to people who in many ways want the same things that you want and that I want, but, but they were simply in a unique set of circumstances, okay? So in our scripture, the prophet Isaiah is writing to a society in exile. The Israelites had been overrun by the Babylonians, okay, remember that, overrun by the Babylonians. They would be taken away, driven into exile, taken from their homeland, and so they're exiled. They're away from where they used to live. They're away from their homeland. They're away from their family and their friends, and they're separated, and they long for the good old days. They long to get back where they were. And listen to how God responds to their desires. Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19, and here's what I want you guys to help me with this morning, okay? I want you to read this along with me. So let's do this together. Here we go. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing, now it springs up. Do not perceive it. I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. See, I am doing a new thing. Remember that. When you think of the B-52, what comes to mind? The band, the B-52s from Athens, Georgia. But here's what, what I wanted to, to talk about this morning. That is the B-52, the Boeing B-52 Stratofortress. Anybody ever seen one of those up close before? They're massive. The idea for the B-52, it came back in 1946. Boeing had uh, the desire, obviously, to, to try to have a, a winning bid for a military aircraft from the Air Force. And so the first aircraft, the first B-52, had its maiden flight in 1952 and entered service with the Air Force in 1954. Okay, 1954, Boeing, they, they built them ever so quickly. Over the span of about eight years, they built about 100 a year. 744 in all were built. The last one rolled off the assembly line in 1962. Okay, Joe, thank you for that military history. What in the world does this have to do with anything? Well, guess what? The last one rolled off the assembly line in 1962, but you know what? They're still flying. They're still in active service today. 
They're not particularly speedy. They're certainly not stealthy, but they get the job done. And in fact, the Air Force intends to keep them flying up until the year 2050. 90 years after production ended, the B-52 is still flying. I mean, that shocks me. We, we, we think of top-notch engineering and technology and the latest and greatest innovation, but the Air Force is flying aircraft that are nearly 90 years old. I mean, imagine that. But, but you know what? The airframe may be getting old, but the B-52, it's refurbished, it's retrofitted every four years with the latest of technology. They're constantly updating it and uploading new information into its computers. And so the airframe is the same, no question about that, although they fix up any structural fatigue or cracks or anything like that that comes up. But everything inside has been totally changed, totally gutted, totally shifted. Everything is new. I share that because that could be said about you and that could be said about me. I want you to realize this morning that God loves you, okay? God is crazy about you. And like the Air Force updating the B-52 bomber, God wants to update and upgrade your life. He wants to continually fill you with his presence so that you can see things differently. You can uh, deal with situations differently than maybe you did before. You're able to see things differently than maybe you could before. And I pray that you'll see yourself differently than maybe you did before. That's the message that God has given the Israelites in this morning's scripture. When he says, forget the former things, okay? Do not dwell on the past. How, how many of us, though, dadgummit, we just are so much dwelling on the past. We, we just can't let it go. In other words, God wants them to, to focus on what's ahead, focusing on the future, what God has in store for them, instead of focusing or losing sleep on what's behind them. The work that God has done so far with the Israelites is amazing. It's incredible. But is it over? Far from it, he says. The bad things they have experienced are no match for God's healing. The times that they've messed up or they've made mistakes can be washed away by God's mercy. Those moments of heartache and mourning are just small potatoes, Isaiah is saying, compared to the mighty victories that the Lord has in store for them. And that's the message that God wants you to hear, my friends, this morning. That God has something amazing in store for you. That God is doing new things in your life, with your life, and through your life. God is declaring to the people, I am doing a new thing. In other words, even if you could predict it, you couldn't predict it. Even if you thought that you, you could imagine what it's going to be like, you, you can't do it. This is going to be something that's going to blow your mind, Isaiah is telling the people. Now, here's a quiz. Remember, I mentioned that they were defeated. They were driven into exile. Where did they end up? Anybody remember? They were driven into exile by whom? By the Babylonians. Okay, so they were taken back to Babylon. Where's Babylon? Anybody want to take a guess? Modern-day Iraq. Modern-day Iraq. So I'll read the passage again, and let me ask you a question, okay? Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. So the Israelites, they're trapped in exile in modern-day Iraq. That's important because even if a group wanted to escape, even if they could get out of there and head back to Jerusalem, they are surrounded by some of those troublesome and deadly uh, deserts on the face of the earth. And so what's going to happen? Verse 19, I am making a way in the wilderness, God is telling them, and streams 
in the wasteland. God's people were trapped in a country where they were surrounded by some of the most barren, deadly deserts on the face of the earth. And even if they were able to escape somehow their captors, they would just die in the desert on their way home. God is promising them that he is doing something new, that God is going to rescue them again. I am making a way in the wilderness. Okay, that's important. I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Because the truth is I I can pretty much guess that your life is a lot like mine, that that at times we're surrounded by the, 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 the wastelands and the wilderness. Maybe sometimes the problem is we don't recognize them as the wilderness or the wastelands, and Maybe sometimes when we do recognize them as the the wasteland or the wilderness, it can seem so daunting, so overwhelming. But God is assuring his people that he hasn't forgotten about them, that God will make a way. There might be something in your life right now that is just holding you down or pulling you back. The enemy just wants you to feel like you're defeated, that you're all alone, that you're not going to make it. And God is saying, no, I am doing a new thing. I am making a way in the wilderness through the wastelands, okay? I am going to make a way. That implies a couple of things when God says, I am going to make a way. First, it implies that there wasn't a way that they could figure out on their own, okay? God doesn't say figure it out. Rather, God says, I will make a way. God wasn't simply hoping that they would discover some sort of previous route home. No, I will make a new way. To the contrary, God is telling them that he is doing a new thing. And here he is telling us that he is the one who's going to make a way in the wilderness. You need to go from point A to point B. And I, God, am going to be the one who gets you there. In your life, how are you allowing God to make a way? Sometimes that means we have to be a little bit patient. Sometimes that means we have to be a little bit more trusting, a little bit more obedient, a little bit more faithful. What are those wastelands that that God is pulling you through? What is that wilderness that you want the Lord to pull you through? My wife and I will be having a a conversation, and and she is just an amazingly brilliant woman. And God blesses her with just so much wisdom. And this is one of the things she says, okay? We'll be having a conversation about something, and she'll say, wait a second, Joe, God is giving me a download. Uh, Now, I like when she says that because it's always followed by something that, that is really wise, We talk about flesh versus spirit. Whenever she says, God is giving me a download, I know that she's in the the Holy Spirit's presence. I know that something profound and powerful is about to come up. Are we open to that? Are we receptive to the word that God may give us? The revelation that God wants to pour out upon your life. Are we open to that? Yeah, God is giving me a new download so so that now I I can see things differently. I, I can see that past situation through a totally different, more clear lens than I could before. God has given me a download. Man, I love when she says that. God is a God, friends, of new beginnings. And God is continually teaching us continually updating us, continually upgrading us, showing us new things. And even in my life, I've been in ministry now for 15 years, but just day by day it seems like I'm learning more and more. There never gets to a point where we're we're filled up enough with what God wants for us. We're, We're never done learning. We never get to the point where God stops working. In addition, God is continually revealing and unveiling new things that he wants for your life and that he wants from your life, that God is not finished working And that God is telling the people through Isaiah, okay, that while he has done some amazing things on their behalf before, and you ain't seen nothing yet. 
as the B-52 ages, they'll have some structural cracks. They'll experience maybe some mechanical issues. They'll encounter some corrosion and some metal fatigue. But the Air Force is there to constantly upgrade and update. And friends, God wants to continually cast out your fears. God wants to continually heal your hearts and change your outlook to bring about hope where there was none before, to bring about peace where you thought there never could be any before. But God is making a way through the wilderness, and God, for you, okay, for you and for me, is making a way. What is it that God's doing in your life right now? I pray that we can have eyes to see that and ears to hear that, that we can have a, a clearer understanding of that new thing that God wants to do in our lives. As for the Israelites, what was that new thing that God eventually did for the Israelites during this time in history? Well, they were eventually released from captivity. They survived the difficult trip through the desert. They made it back home to their homeland. And through them, back in Jerusalem, would be born Jesus one who entered a dark, scary world so that it would no longer stay a dark and scary world. The Israelites had a choice. They could view their past and their problems, or they, they, they could focus and trust fully on what God wanted for them and from them. You see, God had already set into motion the events and the people who, who would lead them back home. But it was still up to them to decide, yeah, we, we're, we're going to trust you, God, or no, we're going to allow our, our fears to overcome us, or our past is going to bury us in shame. But no, they said, okay, we, we're going to trust you, and this time they did. If they refused God's plan, if they refused to follow where God wanted to lead them, then it would be to their own disadvantage, obviously. We may not be held captive by another nation, okay? But I promise you that we are held captive by something. And God is saying this morning, as we start off a new year, I want you to be set free from that. Maybe from our fears or our doubts or our sinful patterns. Maybe God is saying, I want you to be broken free from your worry or your pain or your shame or your guilt. Maybe God is saying, I'm going to drive home a, a new way to get out of your frustration or your loneliness or your insecurity. God has already, my friends, set into motion events and people who will lead you to a new place of freedom, okay? I want you to hear that this morning, that God has already set into motion the events and the people who will lead you to a new place of freedom. Maybe for some of you, the fact that you're here this morning is a part of that. But we need to understand, friends, that God is far more interested in our future than he is in our past. Why is that? Because he is doing a new thing. Are you willing to embrace that? I hope that you are. Because as we kick off a new year, what better way to embrace all that it is that God has in store for us? And I think that that starts with hearing the truth about ourselves. That regardless of what you think, whether you, you, you feel that you're unloved or unlovable, that God is telling you, you know what, you are neither of those things. Because too many of us carry around shame and pain that God says, I don't want you to carry that. Through the prophet Isaiah, God wanted the Israelites not to see themselves as victims, not to see themselves as hopeless, not to see themselves as defeated. To the contrary, friends, God was promising that he is doing a new thing in them, with them, and through them. Sure, our past will try to dictate who we are. Those around us will try to dictate who we are. But the scripture tells us both who we are and, more importantly, whose we are. 
2 Peter 2.9, as we jump ahead to the New Testament, it says, you are a chosen people, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, okay? He's talking about you guys, okay? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Jump ahead to 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Pray that you can receive that this morning. And I pray that as we leave this place this morning, you can live that out. That you have been set free from those things that pull you down and hold you back. One of the coolest things about Chapel Roswell is our awesome care team. We have a, a dedicated group of prayer warriors who are willing just to sit with you, to listen to you, to pray for you, and to pray with you. If you need someone like that in your life at this current time, come see me. I would love to hook you up and allow your lives to intersect. I mean, we all need people like that in our lives. We, we need to know that folks got our back, and we do here. Finally, this first Sunday morning of the new year, I want to take you back to the last day of last year, December 31st, 2018. I'm going to go back to college football, okay? You know, it always comes back to that somehow. I'm a proud graduate of the University of Georgia. While at UGA, I interned for the late, great Larry Munson. I spent six years as a television sportscaster covering SEC football. With that said, my wife's family all graduated from the University of Texas. They are a huge Longhorn fan. <gasps> Like a gasp comes across the room, my goodness. So when it was announced that Georgia would play Texas in the Sugar Bowl, we jumped on this once-in-a-lifetime chance to head to New Orleans. Our eight-year-old daughter, Grace Ann, she has inherited my wife's passion for Texas football. I don't know if that's laughter or pity. I'm not sure what I hear from that. Well, praise God, our 11-year-old son is all bulldog. Before we left for the Sugar Bowl, our daughter made a sign that she wanted to hold up on television during the game. It was aimed at Texas quarterback Sam Ellinger. Am I saying that right? Ellinger? Okay, I got it right. I'm always getting it wrong, okay? There you can see her with my daughter and her sign. Interesting how all this worked out. You can see the sign that she made there. He found out about it, came to his hotel lobby where he took a picture with my daughter, you can see the sign that she made. He was so gracious to her. And then he posted it on his Instagram. This is from his Instagram page. Now, I got some video I want to show, okay? Then I'm going to share my secret with you. I truly believe that my wife, with one of her downloads, is the reason that Texas beat Georgia. <laughs> Hear me on this. I'm not kidding, okay? Hear me out on this. Check this out. She took my quarterback there coming down the stairs. He heard about our sign, so he wants to go meet one of his youngest fans. That's awesome. Thank you. That's awesome. How's it going? How are you doing? That's awesome. You didn't sign it, Grayson. I know. Can you sign it for her? Of course. So 
he was very, very gracious to our daughter. He even signed our son's Bulldog jersey. But later on that afternoon, he was posing for pictures with my daughter, that's Grace Ann, and Sam Ellinger. He ended up scoring three touchdowns and throwing for a two-point conversion and winning the MVP honors as Georgia lost to Texas. That's me shooting from the stands, actually. Not a great moment to relive for us, but the fans around us were all excited. They were all happy. But true story, when we were in that hotel lobby, I look over, and as Sam Ellinger was signing stuff, my wife pulled him aside, had her arm around him, and she was talking to him about something. I couldn't tell what it was. I just thought maybe she was asking for an autograph or getting another picture. He was gracious enough to pose for that. But later I said, what were you guys talking about? And this is what she said. And I knew I was in trouble. She said, honey, God gave me a download. Okay, that, you know, it's a powerful sign, okay? I was talking to Sam Ellinger. God gave me this download. Texas has had some really good athletes, but they didn't really have any solid leaders over the last 10 years or so. So I told Sam that, that God has prepared you for such a time as this, that you are the strong and bold leader that is going to lead Texas for the next season. Sam, do you believe me? Do you believe me? I'm giving you a download straight from God. I want you to hear the truth about you. You are the leader that this team needs. She said, and kind of proved that that was the case, like I said, scoring all the, the touchdowns and a two-point conversion and winning MVP awards on that night. And whether it's through the pageantry of college football or maybe it's through the truth of Scripture, I, I hope that we have a new understanding of who we are, that God wants to give you a download, that God wants to speak his truth into your life this morning. What a great time as we enter a new year for you to have a fresh revelation of who it is that God says you are. Maybe it's in an analogy to the old antiquated B-52 bomber. 90 years plus it's going to be in service, but you know what? It's refurbished, it's updated, and it's upgraded. So are you. So am I. I pray that 2019 will be a year in which you and I together can walk boldly in the steps that God has in store for us, that we can get our identity not from the world around us, not from our past, not from what the enemy tells us, but from the truth of God. I hope you can hear that good news this morning. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we, we do repent for the times that we have strayed from you, for the times we have not looked to you or for you. Allow us to feel our hearts strangely warmed by your amazing grace. And Lord, prepare us this morning for the sacrament of Holy Communion. Allow us to understand that communion is not a reenactment. It's not merely symbolic. It's not just looking back on the past. It's about recognizing the fact that you are with us now and forever. That you always have been, even when we didn't notice or understand. Most gracious God, let us remember that communion is a time of forgiveness. And so, Lord, we come to you and we repent of those things that have dishonored you. We ask for your mercy and your forgiveness. But we ask that you give us the strength to forgive those who have hurt us. Open our eyes so that we can see the mighty works that you are doing in our lives. 
May we get, Lord, a download from you. Let us declare your goodness to those in our lives, allowing them to receive your touch and your grace. Lord God, prepare our hearts for Holy Communion, a sacred time in which we thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We thank you for loving us even when we feel unlovable or unloved. Again, reaffirming the fact that we are neither of those things. We love you, Father, and we thank you for allowing us to gather in your name this morning. And as we come to your table, may we fully understand the sacrifice that Christ has made for us because of the love that you have for us. And that's the truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.